to the podcast where we talk about all the things that are hidden in the shadows. This is Isaac, and on this bonus episode, I am joined by William from WTCW Paranormal, straight out of uh, Hampton Road, Virginia. Uh, how are you doing today? Good. How about yourself? Good. Um, it's I'm always fascinated when I talk to other paranormal investigators because I mean I've been in, only in the game of paranormal investigating for about three years now, and I've already countered a lot of stuff. But it's also nice to see that a lot of the younger people are getting into it because it seems to be the most investigators I have talked to are either close to my age, which is in the 30s, or you know vastly older. So um, it's always nice to see a fresh young face in the game. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's been a little bit of a challenge for me getting into it because uh, when I try and do investigations or have people contact me, the instance they find out I'm uh, 17, they're like, I'm not interested. <laughs> they think I'm unqualified. But he don't know nothing. He's still a kid. Yeah. yeah. Well. But uh, yeah, yeah, I definitely think that uh, I'm a little bit of an outlier in the sense of age. I'm trying to bring more people into um the sphere of investigating people around my age, um, which hasn't been easy because they think, oh, well, you know, what am I getting paid for? And I'm like, well, it's more about the experience. But you get paid for it? People think you're, you're earning money? <laughs> yeah. Well, they they assume that I'm getting paid. They're like, oh, how much do you get paid for investigation? I was like, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm only getting paid off of like social media stuff and it's not much. So if you're going to join the team, don't expect to be making bank. <laughs> yeah, we'll never discuss money because uh, they're never really brought up in the teams I've joined in the past. Question real quick, though, what does WTCW stand for? Now, WTCW are the first initial of the first names of the first four founding members of so my name is William. I'm the first W. And now the whole team consists of four of my childhood friends. So it's William, Tate, Chris, and William. I have another friend named William, uh, William Bateman. And um, now, unfortunately, not all four of the members are still with us because as the team has grown from just a like kind of a side hobby, something that I did very rarely, to now what is starting to become a real business um, where I get house calls and, and things like that. Uh, they haven't really wanted to stay consistent with it because they felt there wasn't a point to it. Um, but yeah, that's what WTCW stands for. William Tate, Chris William. All right. Uh, and actually, I know you said you're 17. That makes me wonder, though. Most experiences amongst paranormal investigators happen to us at a young age, hence why we get into the game altogether. So what actually got you into wanting to paranormal investigate? So what got me into wanting to investigate was this. So from the ages of about seven years old to 11 years old, I lived in a house that housed uh, two people that had died inside the building. Now, I don't know the exact history of it because I was very young, but I suffered a very intense haunting, which I talked about in one of my videos featuring uh, Mike from MT Paranormal. But to summarize, uh, I experienced a lot of things, uh, doors slamming, voices uh, being pulled out of my bed, etc. Things that were like very intense. And as I got older, 
from the ages of 11 to 15, I just became, you know, the standard assumption that ghosts aren't real and I was just young and I was being weird. Then over time, I started questioning that belief and it got to the extent of, well, how about I investigate for myself and decide if ghosts are real for myself by going to haunted locations and investigating, which is what I've been doing for the past two years. So that's what got me into it, questioning whether or not ghosts are real because of the experiences I have. So in total, how long have you actually been doing it? Since uh, Halloween of 2021. Now, mm-hmm. so. Two years, yeah. a little bit over two years. I kind of roughly started around the same way. Uh, I started more full time, I would say, in like February of 2021. So you know, I only got maybe a half a year on you. So, uh, <laughs> mm. but that's interesting, though, um, that you're starting out now. And I never even considered it at your age. I was a fan, but I never really considered doing it. Uh, but then mm. again, we had a lot of shows that were like real big at the time when I was your age, like Ghost Adventures, Ghost Hunters, mm-hmm. when they first started coming out. Um, were there any like paranormal shows that you like, watch? Like, oh, like I want to try to do what they do. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I had a couple inspirations uh, that got me into it. Just to begin with, outside of the fact of questioning whether ghosts are real or not. I was a big fan of BuzzFeed Unsolved, which they still inspire the way I investigate now. I'll often bring in skeptics on my investigations just to kind of like level down the belief of what's happening. I like seeing skeptics reactions to uh, when we catch something. I find that interesting. BuzzFeed Unsolved, obviously Ghost Adventures, Pioneers, obviously, you know, unpopular take, but I I don't think they're 100% truthful with everything. But regardless, they did pave the way for a lot of modern investigators. And uh, who else? Um... Also, the Foreman Brothers of Paranormal Nightmare. They're a big inspiration. I'm a big fan of those guys. Uh, so those are like the main three people that I uh, drew inspiration from initially. Well, I would say that's, well, the early days. I remember watching that first Ghost Adventures documentary that I did on the Goldfield thing, mm-hmm. which got them, yep. uh, got them their show. And then I watched that. And then it's kind of, I don't know, You've been doing it long enough, you probably feel the same way. But like after you figure out like how I always use the terminology how the sausage is made. Since you you seen behind the scenes, you know how everything works and how it's supposed to go in investigation. And when I see like Ghost Adventures guys, you've been doing it 20 years plus, right? React the same way as they did on day one. And I go in investigation now and I don't react to anything because I'm already right. know, callous to it in a sense like that. And think to myself, oh, okay. Now I realize yes. it's a show. You're you're entertaining. You're right. doing it off the show now, and it kind of takes the uh, the fun out of watching it. Yeah, that's exactly what I meant when I said I don't think they're exactly one hundred percent truthful. I think they value making an entertaining show over catching and documenting real evidence of the paranormal, which is their job. To be fair, their job is to make an entertaining show. So, you know, no shade to them in that sense, but. Not exactly the best uh, front for evidence. And uh, when you uh, get ready for an investigation, what do you do to prepare for one? So to start for an investigation, uh, just like step-by-step process I like to do. 
the night before, I like to charge everything, place the batteries and everything, just to make 100% sure it doesn't become a problem that something dies out. Then, right before the investigation, I have all the team members meet up at my house. As of right now, we have, I believe, one, two, three, five team members, which is our psychic, Lorea, Mia, Tate, who is a cameraman, William Bateman, who's an investigator, and Emma, who's also an investigator. And I'll bring all of us together, and I'll do a cleansing with Sage, and then I'll bless everyone and uh, pray over everyone to um, St. Michael the Archangel's prayer. And um, then we'll all go to the investigation, meet up uh, maybe for six-ish hours. We'll investigate. I like to start with doing a sweep of the location individually. We decide like a home base area for our investigation. We'll choose a room or whatever, and then we'll send everyone out individually to do a sweep of the house to see if we catch anything. Because we feel that some, some instances ghosts react more to one person as opposed to everybody in the same room. And then we'll go through and uh, we kind of mold our plan for the investigation dependent on how it goes or what the history of the location is. And then at the end, we'll do a cleansing once again and uh, be on our way. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a good preparation and stuff like that, I would say. Most of the time um, with me and my wife, because our team now is basically made up of me and the missus. Um, and as of right now, it's kind of, not say all we need, but probably need more tech people, just people to handle the camera and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. But our preparation is learning about the location, the histories of it. My wife, the very talented, she always gets on me about this when I keep bragging about her, but she is. Uh, very talented psychic medium that she is. Uh, we're most used into a location. She maps out the area where the highest density of energy is, and then we work our way through um, at a location. Uh, and that's where we usually go about it and stuff like that. But then again, mm -hmm. the way me and my wife do our style of investigation is a lot different from almost everyone. But we're not here to talk about what I do. We're here to talk about what you do. Uh but it's interesting. I was about to ask one of the questions is, have you ever worked with psychic or mediums, but you apparently have one on your team? And how mm -hmm. does she help out a lot with uh, the investigations? Or better, the better question is, what is her main gift and focus of her, her yeah. ability? So, Lorraine, she's she's incredible. She's um, she I met her uh, when I initially when I started taking the group more seriously, I decided now, one of the best things to have as an investigator, I've found personally, are connections, right? Because I don't have a wealth of knowledge about everything, right? I'm, you know, so I have priests that I'll uh, consult about certain things. And then I was looking for a psychic that I consult about certain things, which I called the Ray. And we actually partnered our businesses up. So WTCW Paranormal is partnered with spiritual insights psychic readings which is Lorraine's business um now her gift particularly is she is a clairvoyant and uh sensitive as well as a uh, psychic medium of course so she will receive messages and connect with spirits and what we like to do is for example for our last house call which was at a location where there was a murder i had known about the history prior 
which I do I do as much research about the history of a location as I can, um, you know, building up to the investigation. But I told Lorraine nothing. I didn't want her to know anything going into it. I brought her in and I said, identify the murder room. Can you try and identify the murder room? To which she did. At that specific location, it was the bathroom to which she was able to identify without any prior knowledge, which I found incredible. Now, what I like to do with Lorray specifically is we'll sit down and I'll try and have her connect with whatever is in the house and she'll receive messages. I'll take out a notepad and write down any names or locations or any significant piece of information she relates to us. And then after the investigation, I'll try and look up that information and see how it maybe connects to the history of the location, which very often I'll find that it does actually connect to it. Uh, like on one of our investigations, we went to a farmhouse to which she kept saying, I'm seeing soldiers. I'm seeing soldiers. I'm like, that's weird. So then I wrote it down after the house call. I went home and I looked up uh, like battlegrounds in Virginia, to which I found out that that specific area of the city we were in, Chesapeake, Virginia, was a battleground to where there was a uh, bloodshed and soldiers did die, which I found very interesting. So she relays messages to us, and uh, that's the main role she plays. Her gift plays a big role after the investigation versus during. How does she play a big role after? So she'll give us our messages while we're investigating. So we have our tech out. We're asking questions, trying to catch EVPs, and then I'll record that actual evidence we're catching in that moment. And then I'll take the messages she relays to us during the investigation and research them after the investigation to which if I find a connection, like for example, let's say I'll use one of the investigations at that same murder house. She said the name, she kept saying the name Jackson. She said, I'm hearing the name Jackson for some reason to which I researched the case a little further to find out that in the murder case, a daughter murdered her mother and I found out that the reason she murdered her mother was because the mother disapproved of her boyfriend, Jackson, and was going to kick her out of the house. So then I was going to include that in the video and say this is the connection that Lorraine made. And um, that's why I meant in the sense of it plays a big role after. Because initially I might not know what she means by I'm hearing the name Jackson. Afterwards, I'll find out how that's significant. Well, that's a that's a, that's a good thing. I figured, you know, at least I have that. You know, we call validation. That's what I was looking for. Um, mm -hmm. For the afterwards, uh, was that place that you the murder house thing? Was that your? Did you have your scariest encounter there, or was there a place that you would consider you had your? Or better question, what was your scariest encounter that you ever had so far investigating? So my scariest encounter I've ever had while investigating was without a doubt the Ferry Plantation House. This was in July of 2022. And the Ferry Plantation House is a very famous old plantation in Virginia in the uh, Lynn Haven area. And you can rent out a night for a paranormal investigation for us, you know, if you pay them. And that's what we did. So I bring the original four members, me, Tate, Chris, the other William, to investigate, to which we had a lot of stuff happen. Um, we were hearing footsteps. We caught William Bateman, who at the time was a, 
a skeptic and didn't even believe in the paranormal. Like I said, I like to bring in skeptics on occasion. He was sleeping in the living room of the house to which he woke up and ran out of the living room to me, Tate and Chris and was like, something picked up my leg, something picked up my leg and dropped my leg and it woke me up. So something grabbed him. And then later on that night, Tate and Chris got this crazy migraine and said they were feeling sick and had to leave. So they left and it was just me and William Bateman left to which we go to what used to be the slaves quarters. And we were hearing creaking up the stairs because it was an old building. You can hear every footstep. We were here creaking going up the stairs. And then we were hearing banging on the walls, just straight up banging, which I caught all of it on camera. Um, and I uploaded it to my YouTube channel. Um, and uh, I actually had another podcast, the Red Treehouse Pond, made a uh, episode about my experience at the Fairy Plantation House as well. That was definitely the most haunted location I've ever visited. Speaking of which, I may have heard of that place, but um, something I, I've discovered in my investigations when coming around places around where we live, you come to find sometimes by stroke of luck or just someone tells you one story and you go to check it out and they come to find like the most, like it, whoa, this place is far more haunted. I didn't even guess that. But the thing is, mm -hmm. no one would ever know about it. It's like completely, like there's a park next to our house. No one ever said anything that would be renownedly known for it to be famously haunted or at least have that much dangerous entities there. But has there been a place in your around locally that you've uh, investigated that's not widely known, but you come to find a lot of evidence there? Yeah, absolutely. So um, recently, which this is another, I try and document every single investigation I do on my YouTube channel. Just so when I tell these stories in my investigations, people are like, okay, why should I take your word for it? And then I can be like, go look at the video, right? Um, I got a house call from a woman saying that she was, she had recently moved into her boyfriend's farmhouse where his family had owned all this farmland for hundreds of years. And recently after his mother died, they had been experiencing all types of crazy paranormal activity to which they sent me a video of now me personally i don't typically tend to believe in ghost orbs uh that's just my personal belief because most of the time it just looks like dust or a bug to me but obviously i don't kick anybody for believing in them you know um but she sends me a video she's like look look i think this is called a ghost orb to which it was this ball of light that was just floating and dancing in front of the camera for like five minutes straight this was at about three o'clock in the morning in front of her farmhouse. And it was about a five minute video of whatever this is just sitting there, jumping back and forth. Um, and I was like, wow, okay. And then she sends me a picture of an apparition. She was in her house and had recently received a PC from her son. She was an older lady, didn't know how to use it. So she was sending pictures to her son to which in one of the pictures, you can see the clear outline of a girl sitting in front of the computer looking at it and she didn't notice it until her son said hey who's that <laughs> and they don't have any younger women living in the uh, farmhouse so she calls me in to an investigation which uh, I went in with Larray the first time and Larray that was the farmhouse where she was seeing soldiers and then I went in with William Bateman and we called all types of activity um 
noises. We were in the barn and we heard a really huge noise. We were what in what used to be a milking parlor for cows investigating that was connected to the barn house. And then we hear this huge crash of metal to which we rush out of the uh, milking parlor and we didn't see anything. And um, which was a pretty extreme instance of uh, poltergeist activity, which I had never seen before. I don't often catch poltergeist activity, not to that extent, um, which was crazy, along with a lot of other activity like hot spots, cold spots, things moving, uh, things of that nature. And that location had never been investigated by anybody. That was a house call. Um, so, yeah. It's, I think, in my belief, it's often that these super famous haunted locations have been investigated so extensively that the activity there isn't really a surprise to anyone anymore. Where the really, really haunted places are just houses that people are living in and experiencing things, or parks or forests and just normal places that are around where no one would have any idea if it's haunted or not. Or places that were also forgotten by time, sitting right. out there, grilling away. Um, mm -hmm. Any investigations? Because I know, come across a few, um, well, saying a few would be a major understatement for people who've listened to podcasts uh, uh, all the time. But have you um, encountered much dark activity? Or better question, after he left an investigation that said, you might have caught some dark activity there. When you got home, you felt uneasy or unsettled. Now, that's one thing that I've never really understood as an investigator. I've been like actively investigating for two years, going to extremely haunted locations, some locations that had been perceived as having like dark attachments, like demons. And uh, I've never had anything attached to me in any way remotely. Um I've never gone home after an investigation and felt on edge or felt as if something was watching me or had any activity in my own home. Um, that's never been an issue for me, which was a weird thing. Cause it's like all these investigators are talking about how they've had things happen to them after investigation. And I'm like, am I just, am I just getting lucky continuously or do I actually have attachments and I have no idea? I don't know. But um yeah, no, I've I've never had that issue. In all honesty, lucky you then. Um, <laughs> some of the investigators I've talked to from teams across the United States and even in Canada, uh, encountering a dark entity is something that's not necessarily always happens, but it does happen more often than they would think. Um, sometimes if they disguise themselves as regular people, or you're just not picking the right fights, like you're. Mm -hmm. You're coasting along, you're not, or they don't see any interest in bothering you. Like maybe you're not giving off a vibe of, of uh, let's not say victim or uh, of, of uh, what's the word I was looking for? Not, not, a, not a contest or a victim. Like they don't see you as a threat, nor do they see you as like someone who can easily be abused or attached to. Mm -hmm. uh, I've right. known a few people like that who've gone in locations and almost like are invisible to every dark entity there. For whatever reason, but my theory is that yeah, they don't see you as a threat, but they also don't see you as a victim. So it's almost like you're invisible to to them in a sense like that, which is lucky because a lot of people are that lucky when it comes to dealing with that stuff all the time. Um, mm -hmm. I think I'm at twenty six, twenty seven, um, 
home investigations I've done, oppression cases mostly. Uh, but yeah, 27, I think I've done so far. Yeah. And the things I've seen and things I've heard, you know, it's just, some people don't deserve to go through that kind of torture. But Right. um, I, I was, you were, you, you were talking about home cases. So I brought it up. Um, Have you done a lot of home cases or is most investigations out and about? Now, I, so I rarely take house calls for the specific reason of this. First of all, I'm 17, right? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, 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 yeah. So it's like, if, if they wanted to kidnap me, <laughs> Get him over here. Get him over here. right, yeah, yeah. But obviously there are, I have taken a couple house calls. I have taken a couple house calls and those are typically my favorite cases to take because you just get to see sites that you wouldn't see just going out and about, such as the history of just a regular house sitting around, you know, It's very weird to go into a house call and people are like, oh, yeah, you like my house? This has been here since the 1800 and five people have died in it. And you're like, oh, OK, you know, um, but more typically, I'll just go on investigations out and about and or um, I guess I do a lot of house calls, but not in the sense of people. I have no idea who they are will call me. It'll be more like a mutual friend or my friend will know somebody that knows somebody. who is having a haunting and then word will get out to them that I exist and then they'll come to me about it. Um, that's typically the type of investigations I do, which uh, I like to, when it, when it comes to those type of investigations where it's someone who thinks their house is haunted, but they don't know. And that's why they want to call me instead of getting everyone together and, you know, using all these materials and filming and spending a bunch of time um investigating what i'll do is i'll send maybe two or three investigators to do like preliminary tests to actually see if it's haunted and then if they get nothing after like two hours and they'll be like well you know if you catch something else then send a video of it to us and then we'll reevaluate but otherwise looks like your house isn't very haunted <laughs> you know Yeah, it, that's why this was like was a good lucky thing I have Megan because she can literally remote view into someone's home that's asking for help and determine whether or not they're you know just uh, BS and or they're actually telling the truth. So she vets a lot of people that way. Um, but yeah, that's we have that good tool. But yeah, sending investigators in in first to like determine whether or not these people are. Um, you know, just trying to get attention or they're actually, you know, dealing with something. That's, that's a good idea. Always to have. And I guess most people assume or ask you for help like that. Cause granted, just talking to you in the few minutes we've already had, I can tell that you're very mature for your age when it comes to these kind of subjects and stuff like that. So that's probably why they're like, Oh, I'll ask him. And they, they talk to you and then you tell me 17, like, Oh crap. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, but I try my best to be professional. Obviously, I'm not perfect, but that's I do my best not to uh, waste my time because me and my investigators are very busy. Um, a couple of my investigators are just straight up adults, even though I am the one leading the uh, whole operation. I'm the only one or the only team that's really, really active in the Hampton Roads area. So I get a lot of people emailing me. about cases or asking to join and uh, which can become a whole different problem um, in and of itself. Cause I have to do background checks on people. Yeah. A question that I thought I would never have to ask 
any investigator. A better question. I never thought about asking any investigator because, like I said, the majority of investigators I talk to are close to my age or older. But since you're technically not an adult, right, um, how do your parents feel about you doing this kind of stuff? Now, initially, they were very nervous about it because my parents, at least my mother, is very religious. Uh, it's funny, my dad and his friends back in the day used to run a paranormal group as well, which was <laughs> funny. I, I found out that later on after I had founded WTCW. My dad told me that him and his friend Riz had a paranormal team called 757 Ghost Hunters, and they made the news a couple times. And uh, he was he wanted to start filming investigations and stuff like that, and Riz thought it was stupid. And then here we are in present day, and uh, Ghost Adventures and stuff like that is famous, which is funny. But um, they, the house call specifically they get nervous about, which I don't blame them at all. Because yeah. even I, I myself get nervous about the house calls. Otherwise, they don't mind because I have have a team of five people that I'm typically going to places with. Uh, kind of like a strength in numbers thing to which a couple of my team members are full-blown adults. So they're uh, a little less nervous about it on that front. Now, um, did your dad ever go with you on investigations? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's He's gone a couple times just uh, now when I was like 15, when I first, first started the team, I had him have to drive me around. And then just for fun, he would tag along just to see if we got anything. He ended up coming with us to the uh, Ferry Plantation House investigation, to which he wanted to leave later on in the night. He didn't even want to stay there. He was just sitting in the uh, conference room for most of the investigation. But when Tate and Chris started having that severe migraine I was talking about, he also was like, yeah, I want to leave, which was surprising because my dad is like a stone faced, like six, six huge dude who like doesn't get scared by anything. So I was like, oh, shit, I might be dealing with some some serious stuff here. If uh, even my dad's like, I want to (laughs) go. Now. So I always want to ask other fellow investigators that are around the area where we live, because we're based at Jacksonville, North Carolina, and you're in, in Virginia. So you're not very actually very far from us. You're up yeah, no. three and a half hours away from us, which is mm-hmm. you're in the same region of, of the, the United States. Is. So one thing we come across a lot of our investigations is Native American spirits. Mm-hmm. And what I always want to ask you is how many Native American spirits have you come across in the investigations you've done? Yes, of course. So. Naturally, so I've theorized personally, almost every investigation I do, the 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 words Indian burial grounds come up because, of course, they do. Um, the Fairy Plantation House had Indian burial grounds. I recently did an investigation to uh, First Landing State Park, which is supposedly haunted, according to uh, Neptune Ghosts. So I investigated there. There were thoughts of Native American burial grounds there. My theory personally is that because Virginia and obviously North Carolina as well were uh, one of the first founding colonies, the first 13, that we were moving and killing Indians, which is why there's so many cases of Native American burial grounds. Me personally, I don't think I've actually run into Native American spirits very often. I've had like one or two instances where I theorized maybe I was 
for example, at First Landing State Park, I was using a uh, ovulus, and the ovulus kept saying um, things like Indians or or just like terms like native or stuff like that, where they'll talk about animals and just things that kind of pointed me towards the fact that I might have been speaking with something that might have been from around that time. But I actually have not run into Native American spirits very often, despite how prevalent they are in most of the history of the locations I go to. Well, I'd say we come across a lot, but then again, my complexion, um, they feel comfortable about talking to me. But also having indigenous blood uh, being Hispanic myself, so that makes me half indigenous to the lands of Mexico, but also coming to find out six years ago that uh, my great-grandfather, my mother's side, was uh, Chata native, which I'm like, mm. why wouldn't you tell me this when I was young? I could have got scholarships for this stuff. <laughs> um, but she was like, I don't know. I didn't dare think about it. Like, That's important. For me. Anyway, whatever. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I've, I'm technically still a mixture of indigenous blood, but I guess that's why they feel more comfortable about speaking to me when we do investigations, especially around here amongst the native spirits, because we meet a lot. Um, and plus we hear a lot of um, indigenous speak come through the spirit box. Um, like, like certain words and phonetic phrases we hear like, Oh, that's, that's uh, that's native. I don't know what they're saying, but I know it's what it sounds like when I hear it. Um, yeah. But yeah. I just thought I asked because I know Virginia, that area, it's a lot of indigenous tribes that live in, that, in those specific places. So most likely you're going to run across some of them mm-hmm. still there. Yeah. Well, I think there's definitely been a couple instances where I was speaking with an indigenous spirit, but I had no idea because I can't identify <laughs> anything outside of English or Spanish. So yeah. I might have just wrote it off as like chatter from the spirit box or, you know, just had no idea otherwise. Have there I guess, have you investigated a place that was known for being a native uh, location? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Fairy Plantation House is known for having a lot of uh, native spirits because it's actually a really bad story. So the Fairy Plantation House is um, right smack dab in the back of a neighborhood that is currently lived in, right in the back. And for the neighborhood, landscapers from the city of Virginia Beach were digging out the ground to build a tennis court. They're digging up the ground to be replaced with concrete, and they straight up dig up a burial ground and find skeletons, human skeletons, which they handled the situation very poorly because they just continued to pour the concrete over the skeletons, which I think the owner of the Fairy Plantation House, Cody Green, theorized that this definitely pissed off the Native American spirits that were there, which led to some of the activity trickling down through the neighborhood and through the Fairy Plantation House. So, yeah. So that whole area is has been receiving activity. Mm-hmm. Yes. If I make it that way, I'll try to make one of my stops there. <laughs> yeah. I, I I thought sorry. Um, I didn't. I what plantation I was assumed. You know, you have you know slave spirits that most yes, likely yes. still there, but I didn't think the native population would be that bad in that world, that populous in that location, specifically for the haunting, responsible mm-hmm. for the hauntings that location. Yeah. Now, well, 
No, well, there are so there's only one documented spirit of a slave at the fairy plantation house, and his name is Henry. Uh, Henry was a slave at the plantation, and he was huge, apparently. He was seven feet tall, and there's actually inside the building er, an inscription of the letter H, which they uncovered, which was originally from Henry. Um, So there's documentation of him specifically. Cody doesn't think that the Native American spirits are the main thing that's causing the hauntings at the Fairy Plantation House, but he thinks that it adds to the energy there um, or is a part of what's happening there because, I mean, they dug up their skeletons and just poured concrete all over them. <laughs> so, I mean, and they also find spearheads in other, like, you know, um, what's it called? Old pieces of uh, paraphernalia from Native Americans all over that area. Hmm. Definitely gonna have to check that out for sure. Um, to pivot from this, uh, what was one of your favorite investigations you've done? My favorite, um, I think my favorite investigation I've ever done was when I was on the way to Philadelphia to go to the Eastern State Penitentiary. This was Halloween of 2022. And on the way there, we found an abandoned high school, a, a completely abandoned high school that was abandoned, I believe, because of a gas leak and a couple people died there. And we went in to investigate, me and my dad. We did a very brief investigation. But through that, it was super, super interesting investigating an abandoned high school because it was almost as if it was like a time capsule. It was like everyone cleared out of the building and didn't take any of their stuff with, with them. So all the classrooms had chairs and whiteboards and all types of stuff. And that was super interesting. We caught a little bit of activity, but we didn't want to stick around for too long because it was an abandoned location and I didn't want uh, a breaking and entering charge. <laughs> Right. Well, but, sometimes you got to be sneaky. Yeah. 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 Um, but that was definitely one of my favorite investigations because it was super interesting just seeing the history of it. And also, the architecture was just crazy. It was like a two story building. Um, and it was, it was cool. It was cool. I wish I could go back. Now, the in high school, I think, would scare me for being back in high school. But also, I know one sound would be like distinctively for high school, besides any bells or anything like that, is a sound of like a death moving that, right? You know, mm -hmm. that's the distinctive sound, but death sliding against the floor. And yeah. that would be distinctive. Okay, what's in here? You know, that whole. Right. Yeah. Because those don't move by themselves. Right. Um, have you investigated more inside or outside? More inside because I'm not good at investigating outdoors locations for one specific reason. For some reason, my like cognitive ability of forming a plan, since I'm the leader of the group, right? I'm the representative for social media stuff, landing investigations. If one of my other teammates gets an investigation, they direct them to me. So I direct everything for WTCW Paranormal, despite there being five members. So it is up to me to make the plan for an investigation once we land one, as I talked about earlier, right? I'll kind of go with the flow and figure out what I want to do. 
um, dependent on the history of the location. Now, the problem comes in is for an indoor location, I know where hotspots are due to the homeowner telling me, and I can kind of just figure out what to do with it from there. Outdoors locations where it gets a little bit tricky because it's usually typically a, a bigger, a lot bigger of an area as opposed to just a house or, you know, whatever else indoor location it could be. Uh, so my ability to make a plan kind of fails me. But that's where the connections I was talking about earlier tend to come in. Uh, Mike from MT Paranormal, he lives in Ohio and they have a lot of like indigenous spirits. So he does a lot of investigating outdoors in the woods and stuff like that. So most of the stuff I know about investigating outdoors, I know from him. For the most part, I do a lot of investigating indoors. So what I prefer doing. You got all the luck. 95% of my investigations have been outside. Uh, just because we could never get to go inside a place. Um, most places turn us down because a lot of around here is ruled by the historical foundation society or whatever. Yeah. And they don't like investigators. So they're not going to allow anybody to go in certain places. Yeah, same thing with Virginia. The state, uh, the city of Virginia Beach and basically every like big city in um, Hampton Roads just hate investigators. I've emailed so many places asking to investigate. I'll, I'll even like offer free promo. I was like, um, there's a couple locations that for Halloween, they'll do like ghost tours. I'm like, I'll make a video. You can use it for promo. They're like, nope, we don't care. So that's so I have to do house calls or abandoned places if I want to investigate indoors, which is what tends to happen. Well, you come to find some of these places outdoors, you catch a lot of stuff, especially when you hear things out in the woods that is not an animal or wouldn't be anybody because there's no one in the area for miles. So, yeah, that's when you start hearing stuff. And especially when you feel the atmosphere go quiet, that's... Mm -hmm. uh, that's a sensation that you do not forget. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so you do a lot of insight. What would you say is your favorite equipment to use? Now, what I've realized over time with investigating is me personally, I don't like to rely on equipment too heavily because I feel like measurable, I like to call it measurable phenomena, is the best type of evidence we can get. Now, while it, it may be interesting to catch an interaction uh, with a spirit over a spirit box, uh, the average person watching the video might be like, okay, who cares, right? They might not understand how the piece of equipment works, uh, or they might write it off as radio chat or whatever. So my favorite pieces of equipment are temperature reading equipment to catch hot spots, cold spots, because that's a measurable phenomenon, a big drop in temperature or a big increase in temperature. EMF readers, I really like uh, uh, I also like motion sensing equipment. Uh, motion sensing equipment is really good for me because even someone who doesn't know anything about paranormal at all, if they click on one of my investigations and they see a motion sensor going off without anything in front of it, they're like, whoa, that's weird. You know, even if they don't know anything about paranormal stuff. Um, so motion sensing, temperature reading, EMF, uh, also, I like EVPs as well. I think my favorite would probably be the EMF reader simply because how easy it is to use, um, which it is, it's good for catching evidence as well. I catch a lot of evidence with the EMF reader. 
Now, do you have um, like uh, an actual, like, well, I guess the equipment wise, like you bought and purchased Majority's equipment, or like did you inherit it from your dad? Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> oh, no. No, back when my dad was doing it, the equipment that we have now was not even a thing yet. All they no. had back then was just EMF readers, cameras, and that's it. End of story. So the investigating they did was basically the only evidence they caught was things moving or noises, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I do. I have spent an unreasonable amount of money on new tech. I have an Ovulus. Um, I'm trying to get a REM pod. They can be freaking expensive, so I'm saving up from working. But Ovulus, Spirit Box, EMF reader, cameras, motion sensors, like touch cat balls, those uh i have all the equipment i've i've bought yeah the most popular equipment uh in the early days all we ever used was the apps on phones which i never gave much um i don't know much much uh thought into but the two apps that i would say that put any stock behind is uh necrophonics and ghost tube uh, when it comes to being a swimmer of spirit box, it's necrophonics, I would say, is about 90% accurate, and then ghost tubes about about 95 when it comes to communicating with something that's actually there and then getting direct yeah. answers. I always tell anyone who first starts investigating, the best tool you have right now is your phone. They record, you have a flashlight, you can get some kind of, you know, some kind of paranormal app that will work somewhat well. Um, and go from there essentially also you have the camera to record and take pictures so you got basically right. a majority of tools in one thing yeah 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 nice. um i i am essentially the same i try not to rely on like phone stuff too heavily uh the only like apps i use with my phone are the ghost music box which is a, a really simple piece of tech in comparison to like ghost tube and necrophonics all it does is you calibrate it and then you just let it sit still and if anything touches the device, touches the screen or moves the phone, it starts sounding off a really loud spirit or it starts sounding off a music box. And I'm very skeptical. Like I, I try to be as skeptical as possible with my approach to equipment and investigations. Right. I want to write off any activity as something explainable before it's a ghost. Right. So mm-hmm. I've literally sat there with my phone sitting there on the floor for like an hour just seeing if it'll go off on its own, which it won't. But I've had it go off in locations, which I think it's a really good piece of evidence because something's touching the phone and it's not me. You know, it's, I think that's one of my favorite apps to use um, is the uh, Spirit Music Box. And I also like to use the, um, Cody Green is is uh, the owner of the Fairy Plantation House and he says that he likes this app called... Uh, Man, I forgot what it's called. It's it's similar to Necrophonics. It's a, another phonetic uh, spirit box type device that he recommended to me. But those are really the only two apps I'll use. And um, what would you consider? And this is a new question I thought of recently. I haven't really asked much investigators. So you're technically the first. Um, but it's a it's a question I always ask. I always ask investigators afterwards. For most people that I, I've come close to and try to understand when it comes to the investigation game um what would you consider a successful investigation i would consider a successful investigation one of two things either i determine what the issue is right 
I have a lot of people come to me not knowing what their problem is. They're just having this paranormal activity happening to them. I think a successful investigation is if I identify the actual issue, either using my psychic to make a connection to whatever's haunting them or, you know, or a plausible issue. You know, if we end up discovering that the house has a mold problem or something, which is something I've actually had happen. I was called in for a house call and we go to investigate the attic and it's just riddled with black mold, which we left and we're like, you have black mold in your attic. You probably have um, carbon monoxide poisoning. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then my second like thing I would consider a successful investigation is if I determine if the house isn't haunted at all. Uh, I've had a lot of people who are really scared their house is haunted, which is why I often have decided to send in investigation or investigators prior to going in myself because I've had this happen so many times. People will call thinking their house is haunted and I'll be like, okay, well, I'll go in to investigate and then catch nothing. And then I'm like, your house isn't haunted. And they're like, oh, thank God. And then I'm like, if anything else comes up, then message me. And most often I won't, I won't get a message about it again because it really wasn't haunted so that's my two definitions of a successful investigation, either identifying the issue or identifying there isn't an issue and it's just not haunted. Hmm. What is your hope for the future of um, the paranormal and investigating? I want now, I think ambition is key, right? For me personally, I want the world to accept the idea that ghosts are real more commonly than they're not. If I were to tell the average person on the street that I'm a paranormal investigator now, they'd probably think I'm weird, right? They'd probably think I'm strange. My dream is, is in an ideal world that it is more often that someone will believe in ghosts as opposed to them not believing in ghosts. That's, I think my objective is to spread awareness that the fairy tale is real Ghosts are real, demons are real, and there is something after our earthly life. Good answer. Um, my that's, that's aligns with my hope that the scientific community uh, starts studying the paranormal as well as they do any other forms of science and starts building devices for us that is more um, better at scientific. measuring mm -hmm. um, the paranormal when it comes to a lot of stuff. So I always um, educate myself with all forms of science when it comes to anything that would be surrounding it, uh, the paranormal to get it together. So if I'm asked a question by a scientific person, I can give an answer. It doesn't make me sound like a kook um, mm. when it comes to the paranormal, because in the paranormal community, there's a lot of people that are not giving us a good name. Um, right. So I do my best to try to stay above it with, um, like you said, you always try to keep a skeptic with you. So you're already doing one step and trying to even disprove what you might be considering paranormal. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, I'd, I'd say myself, I'm a skeptic. I think more often than not, when people send me videos of what they're having as paranormal activity, like I'll get videos that people will be like, Oh, I think my house is haunted. And I'll be like, now my rule is if you're going to call me in for a house call, you better have a good reason. Cause I'm not risking getting murdered for a really boring haunting. Right. So that's the same rule. Like that's why I got that video of that spirit orb because every house call I take, I need at least some reason to go in and I'll have people send me videos of just their house settling. 
They're like, look, it's a ghost. I'm like, it's your house settling. Or <laughs> or it'll be like their fridge ice maker turning on. They're like, listen, look. I'm like, okay, how about you set a timer and see how often that noise happens? And if it happens every 30 minutes exactly, then maybe you just have a machine in your house that is not a ghost. I try and be as skeptical as possible. And at when, once all else fails, then fine, I'll turn on my, you know, my tinfoil hat and become a ghost hunter. <laughs> well, uh, you got a good head on your shoulders and the future looks bright if more investigators at your age start getting into the game. Where can I, I appreciate you coming on and um, sharing your stories with me and stuff like that. Where can uh, everybody find you? Uh, you can find me on YouTube at WTCW Paranormal. You can find me on Instagram, WTCW Paranormal. TikTok, WTCW Paranormal. X. You can find me on basically everything. Facebook. Except for, I don't know, don't look look for me on obscure social media like Pinterest. Cause I'm not going to be on it. <laughs> but the main social media is I'll be on there. And uh, we also have a website. Um, if you just look up WTCW Paranormal, you can find us. And, uh, yeah, I appreciate you having me on. All right. As always, we'll catch your widows in the next one. All right. Wonderful, man. Mm-hmm.